Thank you for joining us for another edition of Baker Hostetler's Ad Nauseam podcast, focusing on new and trending advertising issues. I'm Amy Kotman, and today we're joined by two partners from Baker Hostetler's advertising, marketing, and digital media team, Amy Mudge and Daniel Kaufman. Together, they have decades of advertising experience and approach advertising issues from many different perspectives. On today's edition of Ad Nauseam, Amy and Daniel will discuss the FTC's review of green guides and a recent NAD decision involving baby wipes that promised they are better for the planet. They will discuss, are the FTC's expectations for green claims changing? And is NAD's approach in line with the FTC approach? And finally, what are top things advertisers should consider to reduce risks and sustainability promises? With that, welcome to Ad Nauseam, and let's turn it over to Amy and Daniel. Okay, we are back with Ad Nauseam. This is Daniel Kaufman, and I am here with my wonderful partner, Amy Mudge, and we are glad to be back here. Amy, how are you doing today? I can't wait to yep, 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 Ad Nauseam. (laughs) It is a specialty of yours, Amy. (laughs) It is. It is. But today we have a color theme. I think we are going to dive into green and green marketing. Always an important topic for advertisers. And certainly the FTC finally announced that they were looking again at the green guides. They announced that at the end of last year. So green marketing, it's an open question at the FTC now. So should we dive in? We should, but first I got to back up. So announced the long-awaited update of the Environmental Guides for Environmental Marketing, a.k.a. the Green Guides. That was supposed to kick off in 2022. We just had an announcement that it was going to start the very, very end of 2022. I mean, it was practically announced on New Year's Eve. (laughs) It was like in by the wire. (laughs) They snuck that right in there, all right? It was. It was ball dropping and green's going to happen. Green Guides were last updated in 2012. I think it took three years from start to finish. Do you anticipate something similar this time around, or do you think it'll be a little bit more streamlined with uh, current leadership? So, look, I think the the goal is always to try to get these done as quickly as possible, whether it's endorsement guides or green guides, and they always take a lot longer than you think they will. And I think the green guides in particular is challenging because a lot of it is research and evidence-based. You know, what is research telling us about how consumers take away a wide range of green claims, whether it's you know, degradability, compostability, recyclability, all different concepts, different words, and that may connotate different things to consumers. So, you know, although you've got the overarching green theme that we're all pretty familiar with, like don't make a broad green claim because people are going to take broad claims away if you just say something is earth friendly or, or green. But all of these words are very different and mean very different things to consumers. So I think there's just an inherent complexity to green marketing issues particularly when the FTC is issuing guides about it. And interestingly enough, it's guides. It's not a rulemaking yet, but we can talk about that later if you want. All right. So they kicked this off the end of the year and with a federal register notice, right? Asking for some comments. I think they they asked about some specific topics they were most interested in. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? And then I think my real question is, is that all they care about? Is that all they're interested in? Is there an opportunity to address parts of the green guides that the FTC didn't ask for comment on? 
Yeah, no, it's interesting. The Green Guides were kicked off. They had one of those public commission meetings in December. Commissioners, you know, talked about green issues, but there was really no focus from any of the commissioners about like, what did they really care about? What were the most important issues? What were the compelling changes in the landscape? It was really almost a pro forma sort of announcements that we are kicking off the Green Guide Review. And then they issued the Federal Register Notice, which had a little bit more information. But but what really struck me was, you know, I've been in private practice with, with you, Amy, for about a year and a half now. Probably the question I've been asked most frequently is when is the FTC going to kick off the Green Guides? Mm-hmm. When is it happening? It is a really important marketing issue that is so prevalent in the marketplace that is so complicated. And companies are watching this space really closely. So I was kind of struck by almost, look, I don't want to call it a laissez-faire announcement, but it certainly didn't have the umph and significance that I'm seeing from clients that I talk to. Now, they did in the Federal Register notice certainly flag a variety of areas they're interested in talking about recyclability, energy use. They also did mention sustainability. For those who are close FTC watchers, you may remember that in 2012, when the FTC last revised the guides, they sort of kicked the can down the road on sustainability. Since 2012, we've seen so many claims being made out there on sustainability. So if there's an area that's ripe for sort of FTC commentary or thought leadership, certainly sustainability is one of them. But there are also a lot of questions that are just, you know, are there other issues the FTC should be thinking about? So any company with sort of unique green issues should be ready and thinking about, are there issues that you want FTC to look at a little more closely? So sustainability is a really interesting one. And Daniel, I think it's a great example of exactly what you said at at the beginning of the podcast, that it really is all about consumer understanding. And I remember back in 2012, when they punted on sustainability, this was an area that the FTC staff actually did some consumer research in. And the consumer research that they did suggested that consumers understood a claim of sustainability to mean durable, like this truck lasts a long time, not that this truck's going to save the planet. I think the first thing people would think about these days when they hear sustainable is some sort of green message. Now, what what message they take away from that, I think, is, is to be seen. I think it's always interesting how consumer understanding evolves over time. And no, it's a great question. Like, what would that survey result demonstrate today. As you well know, consumers are really good at surprising us in in these kinds of consumer research projects. Or sometimes the research is not designed very well, so we get a whole bunch of different results that we question whether they're accurate or not. But that is for another podcast. We can talk about that <laughs> ad nauseum sometime. For this one, you did say something that companies are thinking about, and this is one that I, I think overwhelmingly, I've gotten a lot of questions from clients about, should we make a comment? And what would you say to companies who are weighing that? I think the green guides are different. I think a lot of other guides, you know, there's a broad interest on on a lot of industries. Here, there are a lot of companies and industries that have unique interests that they want to make sure are reflected in the green guides, whether they to make them more restrictive, to address an issue that hasn't been addressed. So I do think green is an area where there are a unique set of interests and where the FTC in this area in particular really wants data and research to help inform their decision making. So to the extent that companies want to participate, best thing to give the FTC is research data that supports the positions you're taking. You know, again, advocacy is fine and it's good to have advocacy as well, 
but they're always really looking for research and data. That's the kind of comment that gets you to the top of the pile. If you're providing them with information that they don't otherwise have access to, you know, that's kind of a goldmine of a, of a comment mm-hmm. for the FTC. Interesting. Well, research costs money. I understand why the FTC would like to see what research yeah. is out there. I'm always surprised. I think the FTC has this view that companies exhaustively engage in litigation quality research. And in my experience, they just don't because it, it does. It, it costs so much money. So to get your voice heard, one of your pro tips is to come with something more than here's what I want and, and show some consumer research or some other evidence about how consumers are understanding or failing to understand these claims. So we know now they the comments, they gave a little bit of grace and they're due in April. So folks have a little bit more time. Is this going to be the only opportunity companies are going to have? Or do you think that the FTC will likely engage in workshops or panels or maybe a second or third round of comment? Well, much like what the FTC did 10 years ago, the last time they reviewed the guides, they have already announced one workshop that they will be conducting, specifically looking at recyclability issues, how consumers interpret those claims, how to substantiate those claims. So that is the one workshop that has been announced, but I do think it's likely that there will be more workshops in the future on other similar interesting green topics. Do you think this will turn into rulemaking? Do you think this will remain guidelines? What are the advantages and disadvantages of either approach? So look, this might not be a popular opinion, but as someone who was in law enforcement for many years, this is an area where I think a rule would actually be helpful. And part of it is look, law enforcement agency wants to get money when they bring cases. And if you have a rule, you can then have penalty authority. And it's much easier to get money using penalties than having to develop some sort of redress theory. Because, you know, for example, if the FTC sues a company for a green claim and they're not charging a premium on the product, for example, you know, how do you assess the harm at that point? If the paper plate is the same here or there, the only thing that varied is a green claim. So I think when it comes to bringing cases and getting money when you're a law enforcement agency, rules are really helpful. And I think green is a unique area where it is challenging to come up with that that right monetary amount. So I actually think civil penalties from a law enforcer perspective certainly are helpful. Daniel, you're on the other side now. (laughs) Well, I know. That's why I, I had to put that hat on. That said, look, there are areas where there is benefit to clarity, to having the agency sort of clearly formulate what is and is not going to meet the standard. And there is a lot of ambiguity in the market on green issues. So this is an area where rules could be helpful, though I'm well aware saying that is a little bit dangerous right now because the FTC is doing all sorts of rulemaking, some of which I think might be less than well advised, put it that way. I'm going to get crazy here, and I think this is a perfect area for rulemaking for a slightly different reason. There are so many state laws that are developing. There is so much pressure by environmental activists to advance those state laws that I fear that we're going to be facing a really a patchwork quilt of different laws that are almost impossible for national advertisers to be able to square. And so I actually think this is one where if there was a rule, especially if it would preempt state laws, which I know is very unlikely, just 
to get something as serious as a rule, I suspect some of the state would back down and we'd have a more uniform construct. Companies want to be a part of the solution as well, but they just want to know what the ground rules are. Now, the downside to a rule is it probably would take longer to guidelines. And as you said, exact companies want clarity here. They want the update. They want to get the FTC's most current thinking so they can make sure they're doing the right thing. Yeah. So, well, enough about green, Amy. Let's talk about a little more green. So I understand there's an NAD case you wanted to talk about today. Well, there are lots of NAD cases that talk about green claims. I'm going to talk about one involving diapers today. It's our favorite topic, isn't it? Daniel, I know how you feel about (laughs) diapers. Do not worry. I am not going to make any poop jokes. I promise. All right. Promise. But the in all seriousness, uh, the NAD has been incredibly active in this space, especially using its monitoring. In you know, 2020, 2021, the NAD was all about monitoring in the COVID area, as probably well they should have been to help shut down various COVID cure and prevention claims. But since then, they have done a lot of work in the environmental space. And a lot of the cases that they brought have focused on something I don't think the FTC really has focused on, which are these forward-looking or aspirational claims, the ESG-type promises where a company says, we have invested in X and we intend to do Y within 10 years' time. And I think the NAD has some really interesting cases over the last year, particularly there's a case involving Chipotle, there's a case involving Everlane Clothing that I think are really worth taking a hard look at as far as a roadmap for aspirational claims. Now, you know, the FTC might take a different view. I don't think they will. And I think the idea that aspirational claims really need to be accompanied by a clear plan. If you're going to promise you're going to get someplace in 10 years, you've got to have a clear, well-thought-out plan and commitment to get there that you can point to and demonstrate. And your promises have to be sufficiently clear that these are forward-looking promises and not that can't be read in a way to suggest your current activities have met those goals. It's interesting. A petition was filed in 2021 at the FTC regarding an energy company and those kinds of aspirational claims. We didn't see any activity coming out of the agency, but we certainly know NGOs are looking at the FTC as as a possible solution to some of these issues as well. Interesting. Well, I mean, I think as practitioners, we have advised clients that certainly these aspirational claims, they are claims and they need to be supported, but the standard is probably a lesser standard than promises you're making about green attributes your products have today. The NA has given us some very good guidance on what we need to do to promote those types of aspirational claims and the rigor that is required to promote them as well. But um, the good try, Daniel, trying to get me off the diaper case. I'm back. I'm back. The diaper case uh, was a very recent case, and it was a challenge by Kimberly Clark, who watches the diaper space very closely, as you might imagine. And this upstart company called Diaper, D-Y-P-E-R, has brought to market some diapers that it claimed were better diapers, better for baby, better for the planet, zero environmental guilt. These broad environmental claims, the kind of claims that, as you mentioned when we were discussing the FTC's view, 
probably are impossible to substantiate if less they're qualified. They're just so broad, they can mean anything. The advertiser chose to voluntarily discontinue these rather than to try to support them, but it did lean into its core performance claims that its diapers were biodegradable. And this is one that we've seen a lot of FTC cases involving biodegradable claims, not not for a while maybe, but in the past, that was a lot of the FTC's green activity. But in this case, the claim was made that the diapers were biodegradable. There was a chart where they listed the different components of the diapers. There were four components, uh, bamboo, viscose, fiber, some tissue, some chlorine-free wood pulp, and some film. Not sure how all those things get moshed up into a diaper, but there you have it. There were also some other components that... Um, were not biodegradable. And Kimberly Clark said this claim is not properly qualified. The NAD said, no, we think they have been clear that some of the components in the diapers are biodegradable and some are not. But the problem is that the claim is not clear about how consumers can actually dispose of the diapers to make sure that they actually do biodegrade. Because if they're thrown into a landfill, they probably won't break down. So what has to happen is these diapers have to go to a municipal composting facility. Kimberly Clark also said, well, wait a minute. There are not a lot of municipal recycling facilities that take these. They're certainly not available to the 60% plus of communities. And diapers' response was very interesting. And I think it's they clearly are investing in the space. They offered a service. It was a paper service, but it was called Red Diaper, where they would pick up the diapers every couple of weeks and where they would take their diapers to a municipal composting facility. Kimberly Clark again said, not available to enough people to make an unqualified claim. Diapers said, hey, wait a minute, we've got these in every state. They're available in 21 major markets. And we have lots of folks who are participating in this program. But Kimberly Clark said, look, it costs money. It's not readily available. Even if you do pick them up, you pick them up every two weeks, and maybe people don't want to hang on to their diapers for two weeks waiting for the truck to show up. So if you're going to make these claims, they've got to be very specifically qualified of what has to happen. In this case, NAD agreed. It's hard, I think, to know how many words you have to use to qualify a claim like that, whether you could even do it on package to tell consumers what they would need to know to engage in something like this. Well, and it's interesting. I think most people, I could be wrong, but I think most people understand that compostable means you have to specifically dispose of it in the right context so it will be part of a compost. I would assume that that's becoming more knowledgeable by consumers, but but what do I know? I don't know. I, as a consumer, I got my little composting heap out back and I put my, you know, my eggs and my tomatoes in it. You can't put diapers so in it. You can put some diapers yeah, there too. There, there, there is a real difference between <laughs> backyard composting and municipal composting. And then if your dog is running around in the backyard, I don't know, want to know what's going to happen. Okay. If a... All right. Now you're the one that's going low, Daniel. <laughs> I thought you were going to go high on this one. I thought so too. But there's so much to unpack in this case. I mean, uh, biodegradability, compostability, all the green claims, you know, and I've always been intrigued that at the FTC, when you look at their green enforcement, biodegradability has been on the top of the pile. They've gone after plastic golf tees, plastic shopping bags, paper plates. You know, it just seems an area that is is ripe 
for law enforcement. And it's fascinating to hear you talk about how NAD approached the issue as well. Some of this stuff is new, how people look at sustainability, how people look at circularity and some of these other claims that really weren't present back in 2012. Biodegradability, compostability is one that's that's been there and it still rears its head. But I think this is an area where companies who are going to make these claims, there are very specific guidelines on what to do and what not to do. And this is an area where, you know, there are clear rules and they, they got to be followed. I will end by telling you there was a ray of light for diaper. The other claim that they continued was a claim that the diapers were more comfortable than yoga pants for your wild child. (laughs) Kimberly Clark did did not like this at all. I think they were really upset and wanted that huggies were as comfortable as yoga pants. And anyway, this was one that the NAD said, no, no, this is a puff. We will let you go on this one. So sometimes, very rarely, but sometimes the puffery defense does win the day. That is a fascinating way to end that. Thank you, everyone, for joining us here for Ad Nauseum, where we will discuss advertising issues. Ad Ad Nauseum. See you next time. (laughs) And we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Thank you, Amy and Daniel. If you have any questions for them, their contact information is in the show notes. As always, thanks for listening to Baker Hosts. Comments heard on Baker Hosts are for informational purposes and should not be construed as legal advice regarding any specific facts or circumstances. Listeners should not act upon the information provided on Baker Hosts without first consulting with the lawyer directly. The opinions expressed on Baker Hosts are those of participants appearing on the program and do not necessarily reflect those of the firm. For more information about our practices and experience, please visit bakerlaw.com.